Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. I would like to invite you to now join me in the Gospel of John in chapter 6. John chapter 6, as you are making your way there, let me ask you a question. What's the longest amount of time that you have ever waited in line at a restaurant? The longest amount of time that you have ever waited to be served food at a restaurant. I've kind of got some theories here. Uh, Your ability to wait at a restaurant has a lot to do with uh, the quality of food that that restaurant has. And it also has a lot to do with whether or not you have children with you. Because I find that my ability to wait patiently for food is diminished by half for every one child that is with me. I love my children. I love them so much. When we go out to restaurants, uh, every time about in the middle of, of sitting down and eating, my wife and I look across the table at one another and say, we're never going to do this again. We're never going to do, I would love to share with you uh, one particular story, but maybe that's not really for here. All to say is that there have been some of the most, the top three most embarrassing things that have ever happened to me in my life. My son did to me in a Chick-fil-A restaurant and I believe in an old Charlie's, but anyways, Our ability to wait a long time has a a great deal of dependency on the circumstances. Is it good food or do we have uh, children with us or maybe our age? The older we get, the less willing we are to wait on a very long line at a restaurant. I don't know, there may be all kinds of reasons, but I want to submit to you today that everyone in the world all the time is waiting on a table somewhere. Now, I'm not talking about uh, going to lunch this afternoon or going out to a restaurant, but I want to suggest to you today that all of mankind has spiritual needs, has spiritual desires, but they are going to a variety of tables to try to fulfill. Maybe they go to the table of relationships and they have this deep longing in their heart for Eternity, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. So perhaps people go into relationships and the relationships that they have and the quality of relationships that they have on this earth determines how filled they are for a moment uh, spiritually, how how they feel on the inside, or at least how they think that they feel. Maybe it has to do with their pride or their job or their money, or you can insert really any type of... Uh, sexual or sinful deviancy that people can go to that table to try to fulfill their needs. But every time they leave that table, they find themselves more in want than when they came. Because there's nothing in this life and there's nothing outside of Jesus that can truly provide satisfaction. Everyone in life is waiting on a table. 
Just like these what's in it for me, Jewish people who we've been studying the last few weeks who have followed Jesus all over the countryside have looked to Jesus to try to provide something for them. They're looking for a second meal. And today, Jesus responds to them in the form of a sermon, appealing them to come to his table. So if you have your Bibles, join me in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, where we left off last week. Hear now the word of the Lord. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just then, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it. And not die. Would you pray with me please? Father, please use this very weak preacher to preach the power of your gospel. Do what only you can do today. And I'll be sure to give you all the glory from my end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is one of Jesus' greatest sermons that he ever preached. Every one of Jesus' sermons were good. I would like that track record. I don't have that track record. But every single one of the sermons that Jesus preached were perfect. Every single word rightly placed. Every inflection of his voice. It was never said too harsh or, or too kind. Always just perfect. This sermon is one of his greatest. I guess if it were to have a title, it would be titled, I Am the Bread of Life. And in this sermon, he lists the first of seven I Am statements. He takes the, the name or the phrase, I Am, which God called out to Moses from the burning bush saying, I Am that I Am. And Jesus says, I am, and then he attaches it seven times to different things throughout the Gospel of John. Here's the first time. He says, I am the bread of life. 
In chapter 8, in verse 12, he'll say, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, in verses 7 and 9, Jesus will say, I am the door of the sheep. In 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 10, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. In 14, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And finally, in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. In this sermon, we kind of pick up where we left off last week. Remember, this Jewish crowd who surrounds him had seen a lot of miraculous things. They had been on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and had all seen what Jesus had done with those five little cracker-like loaves of bread and the two small fish and how he fed over 5,000 with that small meal. They had observed that and they had been so impressed and they had been so filled by the food that they, that they went looking for him or they wanted to make him their king. He sent them away and then while they were uh, sleeping during the middle of the night Jesus walked across the water to his disciples and the the uh, the Jewish people had no idea where Jesus had gone and so they began to search and finally after a long search they found Jesus in his hometown they come to him to ask him where he has been and Jesus as we learned last week says you're not really looking for me but you're only coming to me because you got filled up with the food yesterday and you've come for another meal. He rebuked them. After all of their searching, Jesus rebuked those people. And he follows up with this sermon. We'll look at today's passage underneath two headings. If you're taking notes, number one, the shadow. And number two, the substance. In verses 30 through 34, I want you to see the shadow. The Old Testament is filled with shadows of Jesus. After all, the gospel was never the secondary plan of God. The Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the earth. It was always the plan. And so the Old Testament is filled with shadows of Jesus. For example, you could see him in the Passover lamb. Remember when the Jews were down in Egypt and God was sending his last plague upon Egypt? The death angel was going to go throughout all of Egypt and kill all of the firstborn of, of everyone in Egypt. But whoever applied the blood of the Passover lamb to their doors and to their door frames, that, the angel would pass over. The Bible teaches us that that was just a shadow of the things to come. Because after all, there is no blood of any lamb that can atone for our sins. All of the lambs that had ever been slaughtered, all of the sacrifices, none of them could provide forgiveness from sins. But they were all, listen to me, they were all shadows of the substance in Jesus that was to come. You can see the shadow in the ark. As God gave Noah that expert uh, craftsmanship to build the ark and as all of the the animals that were chosen came into the ark and as Noah's family came into the ark it was God who shut up the door and I suggest to you it was God who kept the ark afloat for those 40 days and 40 nights and much longer as the waters stayed upon the face of the earth the Bible tells us that the ark was just a shadow of the things that were to come how God's people would come into Jesus and escape the wrath that they rightly deserve upon the world. 
We see this shadow in Jonah and the tale of the great fish, how Jonah was thrown into the sea and he was swallowed up by the great fish. I said tale, but it's a very true story. The Bible tells us that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus must be in the in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. See, all of these shadows exist in the Old Testament to give them a taste of what was to come in Jesus. And here we learn that the manna that fell from heaven while God's people were coming to the promised land, that was just a shadow of Jesus. Look with me in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Can you imagine the audacity of these people? Remember, just the day before, they had eaten the meal that Jesus had multiplied. Their stomachs haven't even had time to grumble yet, and they have the audacity to ask Jesus for a sign. Friends, I want you to know unbelief is never satisfied. Oh, just one more thing. How many times you've, you've shared the gospel with a family member or a friend, and they said, well, if God would just do this, I would believe. Or how many countless interviews I've seen where uh, people who claim to not believe in God will say, if he would just do this, I would believe. Listen, my friends, unbelief is never, ever satisfied. Ever. There's never an amount of evidence that is good enough for unbelief. It is always pushing away. And before you start judging these people who had just eaten this meal and are yet still asking Jesus for another sign, I want you to know we have something greater than what they had. They may have seen it happen, but they did not have this volume of 66 books that sit on your lap that tells you what God says about any given matter and what he has done for you and what he's accomplished for you. And yet, and yet, unbelief still persists even, sad to say, within the church, unbelief is never satisfied. It always wants more. And what do they want? What is it that they wanted? Look in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat from heaven. What do they want? They want a second meal. The first meal was not enough. Their thought of the Messiah was that he would be one who would come and feed them physically all the time. And that, that the days would be just like the days of old. And that's exactly actually what it was. But they were on the wrong side. They weren't the people enjoying the manna. They weren't the people enjoying what Jesus had brought to them. They were the people complaining, always wanting yet another sign. Still just in unbelief, asking for Jesus to give them just one more sign. It's true what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 39, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. What do they want? They want manna. They want that, that, that experience again. As God's people passed from Egypt across the Red Sea, and as they were traveling to the promised land, they were hungry and God rained down bread from heaven. And God's people picked up this little bread on the ground, and they'd pick it up, and they'd say, what is it? That's actually the meaning of manna. Manna means, what is it? 
And so they would never even acknowledge that it was truly bread from heaven. They always called it manna. And here they are once again, though not the same people, in a similar circumstance. God's people wandering. God's people lost. And Jesus comes down from heaven. And they don't acknowledge him. Verse 32, but then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Their concept was that Moses was the one who had provided all these things. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament day, I would suggest to you that many of the people who were religious didn't really worship uh, God, but they worshiped Moses and they worshiped the law. Here, Jesus reminds them, it was not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven. It's not Moses who ever provided for you, but it is my father. It's almost as if he's saying, it's, I, I know this because I was there. My father gives you true bread from heaven. Look with me in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Here Jesus says that manna was just a shadow. It was just a small little taste test of what was to come. And Jesus was the substance of that shadow. So let's move to our second point today, the substance. Look with me in verse 35, the substance. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want you to understand this today. Jesus satisfies the longing of our souls. He satisfies our spiritual hunger. He quenches our spiritual thirst. He is the real bread. He is the soul food. While you may be going out to every other aspect of life to try to find meaning and to try to find purpose and to try to find some salvation for yourself, the only true food that is there for you, the only true sustenance is in Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But instead of coming to Jesus, just like these people, God's people all too often go out to other tables. Because we'd rather serve ourselves. We'd rather have the scraps. Just like Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, the Lord cries out to his people, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. All too often, God's people abandon what he has to offer, and we go out for the smaller, less significant things that will never satisfy. And you know what the most unfortunate thing is, really? Is that we know that it doesn't bring long-lasting satisfaction, but we forfeit that because we would prefer the temporary satisfaction. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, if you come to me, by the way, that's the, that's the nature of being a believer. You come and you believe. You come to Jesus and you believe on his name. Whoever comes to me will never hunger or will never thirst again. 
He's talking about our spiritual desires. The most important thing about you is not about your physical ability or your physical health, but where you are with the Lord spiritually. Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. He satisfies our hunger and our thirst. He draws out the saved in verses 36 through 40. Look with me in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. I, I said that you've seen me and yet do not believe. They're in the presence of Jesus and they do not believe. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus is undeterred by their lack of faith. If it would be me in his shoes, perhaps after all that we had done, you'd kind of be disappointed. Really? I've given you, I fed you from that little boy's lunch. I mean, I fed all of you. What, do you, what other sign do I have to show you? Maybe I'd have been discouraged or maybe I'd have been mad. Like, who do you think you are? That's not Jesus. Undeterred by their lack of faith. Why? He is confident, and he's confident multiple times throughout this passage and throughout his ministry in the sovereignty of his Father. Verse 37 says it, and verse 44 will say it again. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. A lot of people go out of their way. A lot of Southern Baptists go to a lot of trouble to try to explain to you why this passage means something else other than what Jesus says. Well, this is what Jesus really means by this. Well, this is what Jesus really says. But friends, when we come to the Bible, we believe what the Bible says, and we don't have to make apology for it, and we don't have to try to tone it down for others' ears. Here, it's very simple. Jesus is satisfied. Jesus is confident in the sovereignty of his Father. He is confident that his Father is the one that is drawing people to himself. He is confident that it is, is his Father's sovereign act in salvation that is working. He's not worried, though he's surrounded by a thousand posers, though he's surrounded by a thousand people who, who don't truly believe him. He's not swayed by that because he knows that those whom the Father has given him, those whom the Father has drawn to him, will be saved. It's easiest for us to take this at face value. Let's go again to verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is not deterred by the crowd. He's not deterred by all of these things are going on. Why? He's confident in the Father's sovereignty, and he's got one mission on his mind, to do what the Father has commanded him to do. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What a wonderful, wonderful truth of our faith. Because there are times when I look at Josh, and I say, man, I don't have any idea why God would want me. I have no idea why he would save me. Or after I've done this, surely I've, I could have lost my salvation. Friends, I want you to know those whom Jesus has saved cannot lose their salvation. 
Now that ought to make somebody excited up in this room because if you know who you really are and you know what you've done this week, and my goodness, if you reflected on what you've thought this morning, you would be glad that God didn't just kick you out of here because most of us, we would have done it. I mean, all the sacrifice and love that he's given and what you thought, get out of here, get out of my house, get away from me, you're not mine. But Jesus says, whom the Father has given me, I will never cast out. And he come, I've come to do my Father's will, not my own. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Brings us to our final point. Jesus, the bread of life, he's, he satisfies our hunger. He draws out the saved. Finally, in verses 41 through 50, we see that he saves those whom he draws. We learn this in these last few verses, but he really kind of elaborates on it. In verse 40, 41, the Jews begin to grumble. And the main point of their argument and their complaint is how in the world can Jesus say that he was the bread from heaven? Of course, they don't say really bread. They, they uh, are really focused on the manna. They're constantly unable to identify the blessings of God. Here they're saying, how in the world can he say that he has come down from heaven when we know his mom and dad and we know his life story? Jesus responds to them in verse 43. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. Look, here, he saves those whom he draws. There is no salvation apart from the drawing of the Father. Do you think that it was your will or my will? Now, now I know we're all getting into this uh, this uh, Calvinist debate, okay, here. We're not doing that here in this church. You can go back and look at any number of sermons and see what I'm not saying and what I am saying. But one thing is for sure, what the scripture says is true. And it wasn't your interest in Jesus that began the process of salvation. It was him. He saw you in your wickedness. He saw you in your sin. He saw you when you were altogether unlovely, when there was nothing good in you, and he called you. He drew you toward him with bonds of love. Jesus says, I'm not deterred by your lack of faith. I'm not upset. All that the Father has given me, all that who comes to me will be those who he draws. And he says, I will raise him up on the last day. That's the hope of the believer, by the way. When you, you were saved, when you were born again, when you've realized that you were a sinner and you repent of your sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and he saves you and you are born again. The Bible says God has given us new life. 
But you know, one of these days, this physical body is going to wear out. Should Jesus tarry and not come back and get us? One of these days, this body is going to wear out. Some of you are already feeling those pains in you. This body won't last forever. And one day our bodies will die. But Jesus says in the Gospel of John in chapter 11, If any man believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The good news is those whom he draws, he saves. He doesn't save just temporary or just in part, but he saves you wholly. That's why even right now, for those of you who are born again, he's convicting you of sin. Why? He doesn't long for you to stay in your sin. He's sanctifying you, drawing you closer to him. That's why he allows us to go through trials. And friends, I want you to know Trials, you thought you've been through trials over the last two years. I want you to know something. Trials, they're coming. Trials, they're coming. And the last few years, I believe, has been a wake-up call to God's church. Get ready. Be ready. You're the only source of hope and life in the world as you proclaim the gospel. Be ready. Why? Because he is hope for this life and the life that is to come. He gives us eternal life. Those whom he calls, he will never cast out. He will raise up on the last day. And then finally he says in verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're bragging about that bread that manna that your ancestors ate. But all of them are dead. They're gone. They've been gone so long you can't even find the tombstone. Probably for any one of them they're there. And they're probably so far off and their remains are probably completely decomposed just into the sand there in the wilderness. That bread gave them life but just for a moment. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the bread of life. So let me ask you this question. What table are you sitting at? What things are you going to in your life to get joy and satisfaction? And aren't you tired? Aren't you so desperately tired of leaving that table unsatisfied every time? Jesus has come to bring true satisfaction. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.